0: Welcome to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. Join Bill Search as he walks you through biblical Christian leadership, gives you keys to personal growth and development, as well as dynamics of leading others that honors God. Open your heart and mind and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Well, welcome back to The Leadership Journey. And if you've been with me over the last, uh, well, goodness, almost a year, you know that I have had the privilege of interviewing some fabulous people. Uh, John Ortberg twice, Nancy Ortberg, Dan Kimball, Dave Kraft. And I got some great interviews coming up as well. So, But today I thought I'd do something different. You know, it's been a while since I just talked with you. And so I thought that's what I would do today. And I've entitled this episode, Spiritual Leadership and Oswald Sanders for a New Generation. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a a shelf full of leadership books, and some of them are really great, some of them are mediocre, and some, well, I'll be honest, the garbage is off my shelf now. But this is a book that I have come back to since I first read it back in graduate school, at Wheaton College, back in the mid-1990s. And uh, I have an old copy. If you're watching this right now, you see my old copy. Uh, But it has come out. I actually have the new rendition and the newest rendition as well. So you can get this. It's still in print. Over a million of these are in print or have been printed, I should say. And so great book. And through the years, if you ask Christian leaders, what's one of their favorite books on leadership? This is one of those books that always makes the top 10 list. And uh, Oswald Sanders was very involved in uh, global missions in Asia. And as I understand it, this was a series of lectures and talks he gave through the years at mission conferences, gatherings of missionaries who would get together and they would, you know, they would learn how to sharpen their skill set at reaching people and discipling the people they reached. And so this is one of those books that through the years, people said, you need to write that down. It's not enough just to give these talks and record these talks and pass out back then the cassette tapes and today it would be podcasts, but this is the kind of thing that needs to be written down. And so Sanders did just that. And uh, he wrote a kind of a trilogy of books. Spiritual leadership is one of them, spiritual discipleship and spiritual maturity, the other two. But this is the book. This is the book you need to read. If you read only one book this next 12 months, read this one. And so what I want to give credit where credit's due, this is uh, chapter 14 out of the book called Improving Your Leadership, but I'm not reading to you the chapter. I've adapted it. And this is one of the things I love about Oswald's work is that you can easily take a chapter out of this book, and I'm going to show you how, and you can make your own leadership a seminar or a lesson from it. So I'm not going to read you the chapter, of course, you can read it on your own, but I'm adapting that chapter. And if you look at the chapter, if you have a copy of it on your shelf and you follow along, you're going to realize I use some of the stuff and then I repurpose other things. And so that's my plan for our time together today. So if you've ever wanted to improve your leadership, here's some wisdom that I have borrowed From a great Christian leader, Oswald Sanders. So here you go. Let me, uh, there's a few lists. I love lists. If you've read any of my books, you know that I list things out. That's kind of what I do. And these are three keys to improving your leadership. And Sanders says you need to recognize your weaknesses. That's number one. And most of us do that pretty well. We need to make corrections to our leadership where appropriate. And we don't do that as well, do we? And then the third one is that we need to cultivate our strengths. Now, here's what I find very interesting is about 15 years ago, Marcus Buckingham wrote a book called Strength Finder. And probably if you're listening to this, you took the Marcus Buckingham survey or test or whatever, and you know what your top five are. My top five include, uh, I think it was woo, winning others over and communication and uh, maximizing and a couple others. So futurist, I think was one of them, which I still think is kind of weird, but um, it was good, but the problem that Buckingham had is he said, "Hey, just work on your strengths, don't worry about your weaknesses." And that's pretty unrealistic for most of us. Even if we get very, 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 very good at a few things, we're expected to do things that we may not be so great at. And so, Sanders is one of these remarkable minds that basically identifies, "Hey, you you need to recognize your weaknesses, you need to recognize your strengths, you need to fix your weaknesses as best you can and build upon your strengths." Very balanced. So, those are the three things you need to do to improve your leadership. Now, why don't people lead well, though? And this is another adapted list. He had a few things. I've added a few things. 10 reasons people don't lead well. So, here you go 10 reasons. And by the way, this document will be in your show notes. So, you can download it and use it, adapt it. I adapted it from Sandra. Steal it from me and don't give me credit, please. Thank you. 10 reasons we don't lead well, we don't have goals. We just don't have goals at least not big goals we might have little goals but the kind of goals that stretch us friends a couple of my friends actually three of my friends are Uh, midlife and going back for advanced degrees. And uh, I shudder at the thought of going back for a doctoral program right now. I like the idea of it and I hate the idea of it. I'd rather do other things with my life right now. Thank you. But those are big stretching goals. They stretch you. They push you. You might have a reading goal. You might have some other type of goal, but a big goal, not a little goal that stretches you. reason we don't lead well is we don't have a good goal. We don't have a big goal. Uh, Number two, we have weak and immature faith. We don't actually believe God put us where he put us to make the difference he's called us to make. And that's an expression of weak faith. Number three, we lack zeal. We're just kind of mediocre about it. We're him, we him haw about it. We're, we're not so sure that it really matters to us. And so we don't have zeal and we're lacking in zeal. Fourth reason we don't lead well is that we present a melancholy disposition. And I know some of you are like, hey, Bill, that's not fair. I can already tell. I don't even know you, Bill, but I can tell you're a pretty upbeat, positive person. And yeah, that kind of is. However, I'm not talking about personality here. That we might not be able to have a whole lot of influence on. We have what we have by way of personality. But I'm talking about the person who's the constant downer. Everything is just kind of sad and unfortunate and not going to work. People don't want to be around people like that. You don't even want to be around you when you're like that. Am I right? So don't present that way. That'll unend up and your leadership. Number five, we fail to com- uh, understand complex situations. We fail to understand complex situations. Life, work, ministry has complicated situations or complex situations and if we strap on a simplistic answer to a complex situation that's not going to get the job done and that's a reason people don't lead well number six connected to number five we, we fail to know how or don't know how to lead through complex situations we, we Encounter a complex situation, maybe we identify it's complex and then we don't know what to do about it. And that leads to number seven, we procrastinate. When you don't know what to do, either you're paralyzed by good choices or more likely you're paralyzed by indecision. You don't know what to do, or there's a couple unpleasant options in front of you and you're just not sure which unpleasant option is the least unpleasant. You just put it off, don't you? You procrastinate. That's number seven. The eighth reason that we don't lead well. Is that we take on too much, but we invest too little in a meaningful way. This is the problem of spreading ourselves too thin. When you spread yourself too thin, guess what happens? You aren't able to actually dive deep enough into a situation, a problem, an opportunity. So you give 10% effort across the board, and guess what? Nothing quite works out very well. And so we spread ourselves too thin. That can upend our leadership. Well, the other is uh, number nine is that we uh, succumb to the cynicism of our culture. And to, to give you evidence of that, I just say hmm, go to Twitter, go to any social media, and you'll quickly see that we live in a jaded, cynical society that's extremely critical. And so if you give in to the cynicism and the criticism, you won't get anything done. Crummy leaders just complain and don't give into the cynicism. But if you do give into the cynicism, you're not going to have a whole lot of people who want to follow you. And then number 10 is the opposite. We succumb to the optimism of our culture. And this may be the cliche. It reminds me of the Lego movie. uh, when, uh, When the character says, hang in there, it sounds like a cat poster, but it's true. And, uh, there are some people that live by successories. You know what I mean? Those, uh, those are those posters that were very popular 20 years ago. That's, uh, you know, it says teamwork and it shows a bunch of people rowing. It says, when we all row together, we get there faster and further or something like that. And it sounds nice. It's really nice. And you can hang the poster up, but it's a bunch of garbage because it makes it look easy and it's not. And so leading's hard. It's challenging, it's difficult, but it's good. And so we can neither give in to the cynicism nor can we succumb to the optimism. So those are 10 reasons we don't lead well. So, so how do we improve our leadership? I don't know. I really don't. But what I do know is that the scriptures present some really good examples to us, and I like to use some of the main characters, the main people who are in the historical chapters of the scripture, as a bit of a case study, as a bit of a paradigm. And so, uh, what I'm going to do here in the remaining time we have together is look at leadership lessons: how to grow as a leader, how to improve as a leader from the life of Joseph the Levite. Do you know who that is? Joseph the Levite. If you're a Bible nerd and you've been in like a lot of Bible studies, you already know who I'm talking about. Go ahead, say it out loud. If you don't know, that's okay. I'm about to tell you. Joseph the Levite is known by his nickname. He was a real encourager. And so since he was a real encourager, everybody was like, hey, there's a lot of Josephs in the team right now in the church. So let's just call you Barnabas. And that's what he became known as. From henceforth, Joseph the Levite becomes known as Barnabas. That's what we know him as. That's what we think of him as. And so I want to look at five leadership lessons through the historical account of Barnabas' life. And I'm going to give you the scripture references, but I'm not going to read you the scriptures. You can do that on your own, but I'll kind of summarize them. The first leadership lesson we see from Barnabas is keep the big organizational picture in view keep the big organizational or since it's a church it's not really an organization one of my friends would say it's an organism that is it is an entity made up of people so it isn't an organization that lives on an org chart but it's an organism because it's this living thing it's the body of christ so you keep the big picture in mind you understand how the parts integrate and for that we meet barnabas for the first time this is in acts four fourth chapter of acts verses 36 and 37, and it tells us that um, he's in town. Uh, he's from out of town. He's in Jerusalem. The church is brand new, and apparently he owns some land. there somewhere in the Holy Land, and he sells the land, and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Now, that's his really remarkable thing. I don't know about you, but and if I have money to give out, sometimes I like to control how that money is given out. It kind of feels good to be able to dole it out to my charities of choice or ministries of choice. And here is a picture of Barnabas who understands there is a leadership structure in the church, the apostles, and the church has uh, some type of organization. It was only a couple chapters later that they create the office of deacons who serve the church. So the organization of the church is developing at that point. Barnabas is wise enough to know I don't Know where the greatest need is. It reminds me of a time I went on a mission trip uh, to Cuba and brought with me a whole bunch of Bibles. And the intent was these were really, really nice study Bibles. And we were going to give them to the house church leaders. But I was sick on the first day. And the group that was with me was there for a women's conference. And so the women at the women's conference uh, found the boxes of Bibles and just assumed that these were for the women at the conference and just gave them away to everybody. And I was so disappointed. I was sick to my stomach after being sick, because if I would have been there, I'd have said, no, 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 no. These are for the house church leaders so that they have a good resource so that they have proper theological understanding. So people with the best of intentions did the best they knew how to do, but they were wrong to do it. And those Bibles would have been more helpful used under the auspices of the leadership of the Cuban church or churches. And so Americans... It felt really good, apparently. I'm told, I was told at the time, oh, it felt great. The ladies were really glad to receive them. And I thought, oh, well, they might have been glad to receive them, but more glad would have been all the pastors in all these house churches that would have had a good resource. That now, who knows where all those Bibles ended up? I trust that God did good things with them because they're Bibles. On the other hand, give them to the leadership and the leadership knows. And so here's this picture of Barnabas. He understands that there's a large organization and he knows enough to see that the parts are all integrated into one another. And the best thing for him to do is entrust the resources he had to the leadership. Now that might seem a little bit of an obscure application from that text, but trust me, if you think about it, it does make sense. So that's the first. Keep the big organizational picture in view. Um, Barnabas, also another lesson from his life, is he worked very hard to maintain the unity of purpose. And for this, you just skip over to Acts 11. So we're seven chapters into the book of Acts from Acts 4. Acts 11 verses 19 through 24. And what happened is persecution breaks out. Christians flee Jerusalem and they go back home to their various territories and cities. And one of the cities they go to is Antioch. And Antioch, which is in a little sliver of land in modern day Turkey, is who owns it. But it dips down into modern day Syria. So if you look at the Mediterranean, it's really up the upper right corner. It's It was one of the leading Christian cities of the time. So we think of like Rome as a leading city and certainly was. But over time in that first century, the big power cities of the faith were Jerusalem, Alexandria, Antioch, and Rome. And Antioch was a massive influence base for the Christian movement. And so uh, they get up to Antioch and then the church starts to spread like wildfire. Word gets back to church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a little concerned, wants to make sure that they're practicing correct doctrine and all that other stuff. And so what do they do? They send Barnabas up there. And so Barnabas's job is to make sure that they maintain unity of purpose, unity of doctrine, And so it tells us in those few verses that that's what he does. He goes up there, he apparently meets with the leaders, he sits in the church services, he listens to the sermons, he participates in the small group Bible studies or whatever they did when they got together. And he observed how they celebrated communion and baptism and all that. And he said, good job, you're doing it right. That's good. Um, But what happened then is that as the church began to grow, um, Barnabas thought, how do we maintain this unity? And so this is uh, the third observation here that we learned from Barnabas. You want to grow as a leader, solve problems, don't just identify them. Number three is solve problems, don't just identify them. And this is just the next couple of verses in Acts 11, 25 and 26. And in this little section here, it's really, really interesting. Um, Barnabas realizes church is spreading. And so I'm going to go look up that one guy the guy that, uh, he was a real firebrand. He started out persecuting the church. He's, uh, he's over in Tarsus now, I think, at least that's where the rumor is that he's in Tarsus. So I'm going to go find Saul. And, um, and he, he had a really miraculous conversion experience, truly miraculous. And, uh, he was a, a real ally of the Pharisees, but now, now he's, um, he's got this reputation on the street as being a fierce defender of the Christian faith. And so Barnabas goes and finds Saul who we think of as Paul and he finds them over near Tarsus in Tarsus and brings them back to Antioch because, hey, these people need to be taught really good doctrine. The church is growing. And so, um, incidentally, it's, uh, it's there in Antioch, and we learn it in that chapter, chapter 11, that the Christians first become known as Christians. Up till then, they're followers of the way. They're part of a movement. They're disciples. And they become known as Christians, which, by the way, A little interesting fun fact is scholars pretty much agree that the term Christian was a negative. It was an insult that the general Roman population was putting them down by calling them Christians. So if you've ever felt like, oh, I don't like the term Christian. Kind of makes me queasy using that term. I kind of feel like it's a negative term. It always was, my friends. It always was. So go ahead, wear it with... Wear it with honor because it's always been a badge of honor and shame in the general culture. So don't even worry about that one. So he goes and he identifies there's a problem and he solves it by finding Saul. And he brings him back and uh, Saul preaches away and he does what he does. And he begins to work out different things that later he codifies in letters that he writes to churches elsewhere, like churches in Rome and churches in Corinth and churches in Galatia and so forth. I'm not saying he wrote them from Antioch. Of course not. I'm saying that as he began to think these thoughts and the spirit began to move in him, I imagine that the first place those sermons were played out were right there in Antioch. Oh, to go back in time and hear them. Well, that's number three, solve problems. Don't just identify them. You want to grow as a leader. Number four is be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So, um, for this, this is Acts 13, verses 1 through 5. And in this one, it's really an interesting story. Um, The church in Antioch gathers together and they realize there's a great work to be done. The, The Christian message is thriving wherever it goes, which means let's move it on. Let's move it to places where it's not yet so it can thrive there. In the leadership of the church, they pray, they get together, they pray some more, they pray some more. And then, and this is is just not clarified for us, somewhere in there, in their prayer meeting, they get the impression that Paul and Barnabas are supposed to be part of this solution. See, the problem is, is the gospel needs to spread to areas it's not yet there. And uh, that means somebody has to go and tell the people. And so Barnabas could easily at this point go, guys, I've been at this for years. You know, I'm tired. I want to go back home. I've sold land. I've solved your problems in Antioch. Send someone else. Here I am, Lord. Send somebody else. But not Barnabas. Barnabas says, yeah, I'll be part of your solution. And so he goes with Paul. And that leads to a fifth point, because if you know the Paul Barnabas story, you know that there's a termination point of their ministry partnership. And for some, they view this as negative. I don't. I think it's actually a positive in the long run. We see the negative in it, but it's it's in um, Acts 15, the 15th chapter of Acts, and it's uh, verses 36 through 41. That's where we find this story. And uh, the principle here is engage in conflict engage in conflict when you need to, but keep your principles, keep those principles while honoring the people. Now it's a simple sentence, but boy, it's a hard one to live out. See, um, some people, they engage in conflict one of two ways. Um, they keep their principles and use their principles like a sledgehammer that just beats other people down. Uh, it's like a hatchet instead of, instead of being handled with care. The flip of it is there's some people that care so much about people that they'll flush their principles down the drain. And they'll say, oh, I love you. In fact, this is a big thing in our culture today. Our culture has this weird idea. I mean, it's an odd one. It makes no logical sense. And I hope it ends soon. But it's this idea that says, if you love me, you just affirm me the way that I am. You just... Tell me that I am good the way that I am. And what I mean is that's ludicrous because we'd never say that to an alcoholic, would we? Oh, man, Bob sure loves to drink. He's drunk all the time and he's really good at drinking. So I think I will give him a keg for his birthday. If you did that for your alcoholic friend, you would be a miserable, rotten friend. And yet that's where our culture is today. Our culture makes no logical sense. That's not new, by the way. Our culture without Christ never never really makes logical sense. With Christ, there's a logic and a sense to it. Without Christ, there just isn't. And so... um here's the situation though. Barnabas finds himself in his, um, his and Paul's traveling buddy, John Mark bailed out in the first missionary journey. If you've read the Bible, you know this. And so, uh, John Mark bails out, doesn't feel good has a sick tummy or something like that. And before we make fun of John Mark, I think probably most of us listening would have got a sick tummy and gone home too. And so, uh, John Mark bails out and, uh, Paul remembers this. So when they're about to embark on a new missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas say, let's go visit those churches again. And Barnabas goes, that's a great idea. Let's take John Mark again. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? That kid is a wuss. No way. And so they have such a sharp disagreement, according to Luke in the book of Acts, the, uh, the disagreement sharp enough that Barnabas says, you know what? Why don't you take a partner and I'll take John Mark and I'll go to Cyprus. And that's what they do. They go their separate ways. So here's what, what happens is that Barnabas sticks to his principles, but he honors Paul. He doesn't shame Paul. He doesn't say, Paul, you're so unforgiving. Paul, you preach grace, but you don't practice it. I'm going to go on Twitter and out you, Paul, for the ungracious way that you've treated this young fellow. No. Barnabas just goes, okay, I hear you out. I respect you, Paul. Uh, that Here's what I'm going to do. I'll take John Mark. And if he bails out, he bails out, and then I'll be alone, but I'll take that risk. And uh, Paul, you can find somebody, and Paul easily finds somebody. He takes Silas with him, and it's a pretty legendary journey. It works out great. And from then on, we track Paul, and we don't track Barnabas. We see Barnabas again, by the way, in one of Paul's letters uh, to the Corinthians. He mentions Barnabas. So they still had a friendship. They still had some kind of partnership, and the Corinthians evidently knew Paul and Barnabas. So that's kind of neat. And then towards the end of Paul's writings, he references John Mark. And by the way, John Mark, if you study the Bible, you probably already have heard it. Mark, the gospel of Mark is most likely John Mark. Since the early church, they believed that John Mark had written that gospel after spending a lot of time as Peter's protege or disciple. So while we don't know a ton about John Mark, we have his gospel and he was a Protege of Paul, Barnabas, and Peter. That's pretty wild. And so here we have Barnabas, five different life lessons, if you will. Keep the big picture in mind, how everything fits together. Work hard to maintain unity of purpose. Solve problems, don't just identify them. Be part of the solution. When you find the problem, Be part of the solution and then engage in conflict appropriately. Conflict comes. It's inevitable. Engage in conflict, but keep your principles while honoring the people. Well, hey, thanks for uh, being with me. And I hope if I've accomplished only one thing, it's that you go pick up a copy of Sanders book, Spiritual Leadership, and add it to your set of tools so you can lead well. I think it'll be a resource that helps you. And so I'd love for you to drop a comment in, uh, in the comments in our social media, let us know what your thoughts are on this. Uh, what is your favorite book on leadership? I'd love to hear that from you. I'd love to have a look myself. Well, until next time, my friend, we'll have some interviews coming up this fall. You're not going to want to miss them. So glad to have a little bit of your time. May God bless you as you serve him well. See you later. Thank you for listening to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network podcast. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources.